Black Joe's still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Welcome once again to the Lifeboat Hour, Friday, August 21, 2015. This is a show that teaches us all how to build lifeboats sharing conversations not only about the extent of the global crisis, but how we can respond resiliently and live lives of peace, passion, and purpose. Last week, as you may recall, we had a lively and rich conversation with New Zealand climate activist Kevin Hester. And next week, my guest is going to be Stephen Jenkinson, who many of you know as the Grief Walker. Stephen spent many years as a palliative care worker and is now a farmer and one of the world's greatest teachers on the subject of grief. And of course, as most of you know, grief, in my opinion, is the number one burden that humans are carrying in this time of unraveling and despair. And Stephen is going to talk to us about how necessary grieving is at this time and how we can develop the skill of grieving as another lifeboat for ourselves and our communities. Now, I want to take a moment to go back to the theme song for this show, Everybody Knows, by Leonard Cohen. And when I inherited this show from Mike Rupert in April 2014, why did I choose this song? Why did it reach out or reach in and grab me and scream at me, use this? Well, I know now that it's because I understand that everybody on this planet really does know what's happening to the planet to the Earth community, and to our own species. Everybody knows that the oceans are turning to acid and becoming uninhabitable for sea life. Everybody knows that the Earth itself is becoming uninhabitable for all life forms. Everybody knows that economically speaking, as Chris Edges says, we are all Greeks now. Everybody knows that no political candidate can save us. Everybody knows that carbon tax and solar energy can't save us. Everybody knows that we're all being poisoned daily with Fukushima radiation and more than 400 leaking nuclear power plants around the world. Everybody knows, and most people on the planet are very busy, very busy doing everything possible to deny what they know. On that note, I want to play a very short and wonderful audio clip from my dear friend and colleague, Andrew Harvey, about this. It's called Traumatized Human Beings, and it nails this dead on. Let's listen. Who you are always meeting in this world at this moment are traumatized human beings. Beings who are at the deepest level, even if they don't realize it, unbelievably traumatized by what they're trying not to know. And the effort not to know how extreme the situation is, is an effort that drives 
New Age seekers into idiotic fake cheerfulness, Vedantists into denying the shadow altogether, and you can see exactly why everybody's on their denial party and you can forgive them and you can love them but you won't know why they are so dissociated and so unable unless you face that dissociation and impotence and paralysis and heartbreak in yourself. So I've known for a long time that everybody or almost everybody raised in industrial civilization is traumatized. But on top of the trauma we already have, we're developing more trauma by attempting to deny what we know deep down inside ourselves. Denial is a very effective and necessary mechanism of the human psyche, but when applied over time to block out things like the possible extinction of all life on Earth, it doesn't spare us from trauma but produces more of it. Think about that. So here we are in between Kevin Hester's passionate and unvarnished statements about climate change and our demise, and Stephen Jenkinson talking about his new book, Die Wise. Here we are on this particular Friday when my guest is my friend and colleague, Peter Melton. I feel that Peter is the perfect guest to stand in between the wisdom of Kevin and the wisdom of Stephen because of what has recently happened in his life and how he's dealing with it in this moment, which he's going to tell us about in in just a bit. Peter is a friend and also works on my team to help promote my work and assist with really important details of the various projects I have going on. He's been awake to the collapse of industrial civilization and catastrophic climate change for a long time. And I greatly admire Peter because I've seen him keep his heart open in the face of all of it. Peter, I so appreciate your perspective, and I welcome you again to the Lifeboat Hour. Uh, Thank you, Carolyn, and fellow Lifeboat mates. Uh, Nice to be (laughs) here with you. It's wonderful to have you, Peter, and um, you've been awake to abrupt climate change for at least a couple of years, and you certainly know the implications and likely outcome. And also in the past two years, or perhaps more, you've watched the decline of your father's health. And he just passed away recently. And I'm wondering what it's been like for you to go through this experience of death at the same time that you've become so aware of the withering and dying of our planet. Yeah, thank you. It's been a a very interesting and paradoxical kind of world. I noticed almost two years ago that my dad's, uh, dementia and physical health were such that, that he needed some extra support. Um, and so I moved uh, home to live with my mother and father at, in the same house I grew up in, in fact, in the same bedroom I grew up in. And so this returning to home and the depth of family um, felt very much like connecting to Earth and connecting to my species. And there's all the there's all the images to remember this childhood, this pictures, these trophies on the board on the wall still from Little League baseball and whatnot. Just kind of a time lapse history of my life and my brothers' lives who shared the bedroom. But there I was in in hospice to my parents, um, parenting my parents and playing middle child Libra that I am with my siblings to to weave the story as my as my father's health 
slowly but consistently went down over the last couple of years, and he passed last Tuesday um, and literally just finished his uh, his funeral and celebration and burial yesterday and just this morning picked up the death certificate. Um, and so it's just so ripe right now, and, and it's... Um, it's deep to just to, to be on with you to just kind of share my experience. Um, yeah, everybody's everybody's different, and everybody gets to go through the personal grief differently. And then and then lurking, as you were saying, here's this other whole category of grief that has never been has never been pondered by our, our species. This anticipatory grief of of what the, the storm we're already in. Yeah, anticipatory and also um, with a lot of losses already behind us and happening, you know, as we speak. Um, it's it's just replete. Everything is replete with this grief. And I want to let our listeners know that we're going to be opening the phone lines a little later in the show if you have a question or comment for Peter or me. Again, the number is one eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. So, uh, Peter, you and I and Dean Walker, who's going to be on the show in a few weeks, are working on an online symposium in which we're interviewing people like Stephen Jenkinson, uh, Derek Jensen, and several other folks, and we're asking them to speak to us from their hearts about what the global crisis is like for them. So I'd like to ask you some of the same questions that we're asking our guests. Is that okay with you? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. So um, the first thing I think I want to ask is, um, what do you love? What do you love about this life? Mm. Well, what comes up as I as I hear that question is that I find myself in love with the paradox. I find myself in love with the mystery. That's the only way I can really describe it. I, you know, I talk to other people about this, and I hear people say I'm in love with the oceans or, you know, I'm in love with the animals or I'm in love with different things, but no individual thing really jumps out at me that way. I'm in love with the mystery. Um, it's just so paradoxical to to ponder what's beyond our humanity and to ponder the storm that we're in that that this whole category of going through grief and death individually as loved ones pass um, will get a whole reframing as our our society collapses as the, everything we've known to be what it is to be human what it is to be this western culture what it is to succeed what it is to be good all these things are just going to be caught up in this storm and and the mystery of where will the human mind go as as everything it had tethered itself to gets taken away? Wow. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned your love for paradox, and I love it too. And I think what I love about it is um, that, you know, like you and probably everybody I'm speaking to, uh, we grew up in a very linear culture that's black and white, either or, you know, left, right, right, wrong. And uh, what paradox does is it puts two opposites together and says, you know, both are true. Both are true. Yeah. And that sort of messes mm-hmm. with the mind a bit, but I, I, my experience is it opens the heart. What do, you, what do you think? 
Yeah, it, it changes the game. You can't just control it with your mind and thinking, although we try. I try. Because then the other thing that I really love, I guess if I had to tang- make tangible something I love, I love being an uncle. I love the little children are in my, that are in my world. Um, and just love that childlike innocence and playfulness. And, and, and then I want to be able to share with them. I want to, part of them, part of being in love with the paradox and the mystery is attempting to understand it, mm-hmm. attempting to, to frame it in some way that's A, understandable to me, but B, possibly able to share with other people, able to share with kids, to try to grasp what's going on. And as I've, as I've sit with this, and maybe it's my own defense mechanism to not have to feel, as you had that Andrew Harvey clip, uh, you know, hearing him talk about maybe new age people avoiding it or something and resonating with that a little bit, truthfully, that maybe I am avoiding some of the deeper feeling aspects of what's going on. But what's real for me is that that's where I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to, to trying to figure out what, how does this make sense in this paradox? And, and it keeps going back to, to two analogies, uh, one of which I, I used at my dad's funeral, um, which was where, where does a wave come from? The wave comes from the ocean. Where does the wave go when it's done being a wave? It goes back to the ocean. And I wrote this in my dad's obituary, you know, that that he re- returning to the heaven he never left. Mm. Mm. You know, that kind of paradoxical statement that just gets you to turn your head a little bit and go, huh, we've never left it. We're, you know, accessing that what's beyond our humanity part of us you know, allows us to sit with this situation in a whole different way. We've we've seen extinction before from the grander self that we are. We've been through all of this. We we are the everybody. You know, when you mention everybody knows that, that there's that knowing part of us all that, that is that what's beyond our humanity. That that the great energy of life, the ocean of life that is us, uh has been through this. We know that things come to an end. We know that death was built into the whole game here. Now, the death of all of it may not have been a conscious aspect in our humanity, but our deeper selves, we do know. Everybody knows. The the all-one body knows and lives as us, and we all get to to dance with that to, to the degree that we do. Thank you for that. That's beautiful. I really, I really just love sitting back and listening to what you had to say. And, um, you know, from your perspective, what will be the impact of climate change or system collapse on, on those people, things, activities, places that you hold so dear? I you keep, spoke about children. I find children. myself <laughs> going back to what we were just talking about, that, that my defense mechanism maybe is to, to retreat to, to the spiritual component, retreat to, we've been here, I've been here before. I know this. I, I, I'm practicing detachment. I have no idea how it's going to unfold, but can only hypothesize that the systems start to, to break down and that it goes wild from there. And maybe that's a slow process that takes a few months, <laughs> or maybe that's much faster than that, but that I don't think there's any way to prepare on the physical side. Um, and that all I feel drawn to is preparing on that foundational spiritual, if you will, or just that deep sense of who we are side that says, regardless of how this storm ends up 
ends up hitting my specific location, that the baseline bottom, and what I want to share with kids and, and talk a little bit more about that in a minute, is, is that we understand that, that all life is temporary, that we have to dare to, to play with death, to, to dare to uh, be with the mystery of death, and that I, I'm just not drawn at all to, to wondering how the storm is going to hit my location. Right. Maybe, yeah, I guess it feels like some dodging of the emotional pain of of it all going away. But I think what's underneath that emotional pain is that bedrock of of who are we beyond that. And the other analogy I'd love to use with that is is that regardless of of what you believe, you'll see death you'll see death surprise when you open your butterfly eyes. I was playing with, we wrote a song for my dad for his funeral too. Uh, it was called Bet It All on Love. But while we were doing that, I had this other line come through me, which was this, this butterfly eyes that, that you can just imagine two caterpillars talking to each other. And the guy says, I'm going to wrap myself up in a cocoon and when I, and basically kill myself. And when I transform out of this death, I'm going to be this beautiful, floaty, flying creature. And his buddy just looking at him saying, what in the hell are you talking about? Right? <laughs> right. And then he just gets to say, because he knows, right, that that's the feeling I keep looking for. That's the, the underlying of that paradox is, what if I could really know that there is so much more beyond this and live that while I'm here and live the, the opening of the butterfly eyes and to have fun with it? And I'm writing this song with my friend, and it's like, you'll see death surprise when you open your butterfly eyes. Your butterfly eyes, your butterfly eyes. Imagine the shock and the joy and surprise when you open your butterfly eyes, your butterfly eyes. You know, and, and just living in that song, that dance, that, that joy. That Imagine the butterfly when he comes out of the cocoon and opens up and the wings start to dry and they lift up the wings and that same caterpillar looks at itself going, Holy, <laughs> I was right. That dream I had, that knowing I had was correct. There was so much more beyond what this caterpillar self could grasp. And here I am. And, and that's the place I continue want to take myself and to try to take, to, to try to share these kinds of stories and, and help young ones. I have nieces and nephews from 27 to 5, and, and they were all around this past week. And I just was wanting to drop these little seeds about how everything transforms. And yes, that was here, but now it's gone. And that tree's not here anymore. And the dog's no longer. And, and now Papa's not here. And, and Papa's everywhere. Yeah. And my, my brother has two little girls, and he taught them both that same thing. He's like, and he'd say to him, where's Papa? Oh, he's right there in the tree. Or there he is in the fire. Or mm. oh, he's under the chair. You know, and just playing with the idea that, that death doesn't, death isn't the end. I love that. I love how you just play with that, you know, and there's no dogma. You're just, you're just playing with it. And, you know, that is, in fact, what um, many, many indigenous cultures have said for thousands of years, you know, that, that we just go back into everything. It's like the wave that you were talking about. Yeah, that, that sure resonates with me. And, and it, like I said, it's a baseline, that bottom line that you land on when everything, when all the tetherings of our of our mental meanderings or everything we thought was real starts getting pulled away. I mean, it's front page of my paper today. 
July, the hottest month on record, and 2015 yeah. sure to be the thing. And here's the picture of the nice wharf in Capitola, California. You know, everybody's out enjoying the sunshine. You know, <laughs> it's like almost a hooray. We had a warmer temperatures with the underlying girdling, you know, going on. And, and even like my mother, who I've told a little bit about what I do, enough to know that she doesn't want to talk to me about it. But, right. But she says, oh, look, it says July's hottest. I'm like, yep, getting hot out there. You know, and, and just allow people to have their own experience um, and tickled, tickled pink to talk to anyone who wants to talk about it and planting planting the little seeds I can, especially with the young ones. And, uh, yeah, whoosh, what, a, what, a, what an amazing time. You know, we talk about being in the heart and whew, trying to slow down and just even here, you know, you're on the radio and people are listening. You want to put out a bunch of info. It's like, no, I just want to stop and go, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're here pondering. We're pondering stuff that's never been pondered before. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah. um, Peter, the Buddhists speak of keeping one's heart open in hell. So I'm wondering, how do you stay informed and aware of the destruction and collapse and still keep your heart open? How do you, how do you keep yourself inspired? Yeah, boy, I hate to seem redundant, but it seems to keep going back to the same thing that the, the details now are just this, just this, here comes this, we're in the storm already. Right. And I don't know how the storm's going to hit me. Is the eye going to come directly over where I'm at, or is the eye going to be way on the other side of the world? And first we're going to deal with, do, do we take care of this, these islands that are getting wiped out or whatever? It's like I have no way of really knowing what those, how those details are going to unfold, and I continually find myself back to the second part of your question. How do I be inspired? It's like, how do I want to live? Knowing that a storm is coming, or sometimes the analogy of an asteroid, some, we're in something. We're in a storm already. And some of us have gotten that early inkling, and other people, you know, don't, and it's just the way it is. But for me to be inspired, it's like, how do I want to live? Maybe I only have a few months or a few years. Like, I just got to experience with my dad. How do you want to be in those last years? How do I want to be with him as he's forgetting and as he's slowing down and as he needs a walker and then he needs a wheelchair? And and just watching that process, being with that process and saying, man, the way I want to be, I want to be full of joy and love and bliss as I'm escorting my father out. And... And so I've gotten to live in that space for the last couple of years in a very profound way, and it, it just feels like it ties in exactly to what I'm dealing with with myself and my human family and, the, and our planet mates and our planet itself going through these changes and this transformation. And how do I want to be? I, I want to be in this bliss and this do these butterfly eyes, my butterfly eyes. You know, to, <laughs> to sing, to dare to just, put that energy into my life that says, when I, I'm going to close my eyes now. In fact, everybody try this out there. Close your eyes and just tap into that inner, inner caterpillar for a moment and play with this. It's like you're this creepy, crawly, little black, yucky thing that nobody really, just, ah, it's just kind of weird. And, and, and then it, it climbs up in a tree and it wraps itself into its own cocoon and it, it ends its own everything it used to know. Because deep inside it, it knows that what comes out of there is this new thing, and here you are breaking out of the cocoon, and your and your eyes are starting to feel like you might open them, and you open them up, and there's a struggle with your things by your side, and there are these wings, and 
you start to flap them, and there's this gorgeous array of colors, and you fall off of the cocoon, and now you're flying, and that you knew that somewhere. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that we're playing a trick on ourselves. That that we are these butterflies all along, and and that we can access that place that knows that. And now, as I as I go to open my eyes from this short closed eye meditation, and if you open them like I did, I close them again. And there's this caterpillar through the cocoon and comes out, but his eyes are still closed. And he feels these arms. He opens his eyes. The butterfly opens its eyes. It remembers itself as the caterpillar and choosing to go and wrap itself up. But now here it is in this whole new world, and it starts to fly, and it has the wisdom coming through its butterfly eyes. And it's just like, oh, my God, look, I'm flying. Look, I'm flying. And that's how I want to be. That's, that's the way I want to live, whether it's a week or a year or a decade that's left of, of my world. But Peter, but now, thank you. Now. Thank you so much for that. Um, we have a caller, Lori, from Redding, California. Um, I know that you want to talk to her, and I want to talk to her, too. Go ahead, Lori. Uh, good morning, beloveds. I am so sorry to hear of the uh, extra emotional um, layer for you, Peter. And um, I, um, I wish I could say, put more into words. And this is, in some way, isn't it a coincidence that you're together with Carolyn and, and discussing something that's uh, capturing um, all dimensions and all realms right now, right here today. So appreciate yeah. and value your um, contribution, both of you. Um, want to kind of, I guess, contribute with the denial topic of um, um, we had an event here in Reading last Friday with uh, Dane Wigington and Geoengineering. Um, about 1,000 people showed up, and uh my observation was, um, as I was helping with the event and the volunteering, I didn't get to sit and listen to the entire um, format with the panel. But what I noticed is, if you've ever seen people leave a really bad movie, and they kind of wiggle, they kind of want to leave, they kind of talk to one another, and then there was a couple people that I, I saw that were more elders, and um, they just, I think, were on information overload, um, obviously, they know what a clear sky looks like, um, and they know something horrid has been happening over decades, really. And um, so I just thought that was an interesting observation. And my second thing with denial is it's a small thing in a way, but there are people that wanted to attend this event, and they couldn't find ready or available parking. And so I was hearing from people that they, they just decided not to go. So mm. even though there was a huge parking lot across the street. Wow. Rather than yeah. saying a lot, they didn't see, quote-unquote, did not see an ample hardware little mini mall full of spaces. Mm. Wonderful analogy there, Lori. They didn't see. No. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thanks for the call. And, and watching people I'll talk about the mystery and the paradox, being with people as they go through their process of hearing about this material, diving into new mysteries like the stu- the what's going on in our skies. Wow. Everybody's drawn in different ways. People come to this material or are drawn to this mystery and this, this reality through many mm-hmm. different doors. And, and I know, my God, here in, in my area too, the skies have just been so striped and varied and one day it's all over and the next day it's not. And, 
and just like, wow, there's there's things happening. Folks are trying things yeah. the way they're trying things because the times are that that desperate. Yes, and I, if I can um, contribute on what you just shared about the um, the air quality, because we have all these fires that are uh, occurring. Uh, all a part of it, um, and we've got this layer of spraying that's likely happening way above it, so we're getting this um, extra cocktail of who knows what. And so I think for a lot of people that gave them another reason of, you know what, it's Friday night, we're kind of beat, we're tired, we're fatigued, um, I'm choking, I'm coughing, my throat's closing up. One of our attorneys right. that was uh, <laughs> on the panel, his wife was, she's a radio show uh, person, Angela Black, and she was getting so sick, uh, like an hour and a half outside of our location here in Reading, and couldn't contribute, couldn't show up, couldn't participate at all, missed the entire event because of her physical reaction. Obviously, you know, it's just, uh, for some people, if they're sensitive or not, it's just way too much if they haven't acclimated. Yeah. Like, fortunately, yeah, some of us are. And then um, the yeah. last thing I'll share and let you get back to your um, other callers is our local paper here is called the Record Searchlight, and they refuse to cover a single word nor one picture, even though we had a thousand people with a panel of experts. Um, we had a, one radio, excuse me, one television station from Sacramento that made the effort to come here and film it. And our paper just is in massive, uh, either they're uh, professionally yeah. silenced, owned, bought, sold, um, but there was some dialogue going on with many attendees uh, as to the yeah. energy. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, boy, the, yep. the denial the denial is everywhere. Thank you for yeah, adding right. to that. Love, love you both. Later. Thank you, Lori. Thank, Thank you so much. Um, you know, folks, we're going to continue to keep these phone lines open. You can call at any time if you have a question or comment for Peter or myself. We are at 888-874-4888, and we have a caller from Florida, Harvey. Go ahead, Harvey. Oh, hi. Let me just turn this. Uh, down just a bit here. Peter, uh, you and I have been in a men's group in the past, and at that point, you wrote this absolutely beautiful poem about butterflies. And here's my question for you. Even though we live and look around and see ourselves as caterpillars right now, what would it be like if all of a sudden I should take the stand that I truly am a butterfly how would you recommend that I or people like me actually live our life? Hmm. Thank you, Harvey. Thanks for the, the message rem reminding me and inviting me to be sure to share about the butterfly today. And I've missed our, I've missed our time together that I've been uh, away from the group, but looking forward to actually rejoining with you guys. How do you do it? Wow. So, so everybody's got a different way. Everybody's got a different, color to their butterfly wings, if you will, than this analogy that the way it is for me, and so I assume that, that people, that many will relate to this, but I have no idea, that that this joy, this I'm, my hands are near my the middle of my stomach with both palms open and just feeling this energy moving up my stomach, up through my heart chakra, and, and just like if you were going to urge the energy of your heart out into the open space, and it's like a... It's a, uh, an urging sound and place, and and what is that in the physical realm? Is is that being playful? Is that being soft? Is that being really clear with people? You know, is that daring to be more honest than you've been, so that you can just have that peace for yourself? What is it that makes you alive 
so many of us, myself included, cut back on our creativity. You know, is it writing? Is it painting? Is it collecting and refurbishing the car? You know, whatever it might be that we we dare to to feel into. Some of the stuff Carolyn was talking about that we're doing, that we're up to with this symposium, is what what is it that's aching to come out? That if you actually think, if, if we knew, and I could say, Harvey, you've got three weeks, you know, what comes out of you then? What are you putting on your calendar for tomorrow if you find out you've got three weeks? You know, and, and feel into, sit with and feel into, wow, that is, I really do want to see that friend. And maybe you can't physically go to see them, but, man, you better write a letter or you've got to call them. Or now with this, the technology, you can put them right there in front of you on the computer screen and say, you know what, I just did this exercise. It said I had three weeks to live, and I thought of you. And I just need to, to dare to say that and sit with this, and I miss you, and I'm sorry, and I love you, or whatever it needs to come out, to, to dare to make that list, dare to go there for yourself um, and be that person. And, and what the heck, put a little jingle in your ear and uh, sing, Butterfly Eye, Butterfly Eye. <laughs> You know, and, and have a song in your heart is how it kind of translates to me. Not that everybody likes to sing necessarily or would dare to do it out loud, but, but have a song in your heart. And, and that, that stuff helps me tap that bottom layer we were talking about that says, there's so much more than my humanity going on now. We're seeing through the veil. I know that there's more. So I can be at peace and allow that joy to fly through, even though here comes another report about the Arctic ice disappearing. And that I can balance those two things. It says, okay, yeah, we're going down. Okay. I know this. I've seen this. I got this. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go through a whole bunch of emotions that I can't guess uh, to right now. But the question was, how do I carry the joy? And the joy carries from this knowingness that there's so much more to life than this body I call Peter. Thank you so much for that, Peter. Um, I think Harvey had to go somewhere, so he's he's not with us any longer. But uh, a moment ago, you mentioned something about the young people. You were talking about your nieces and nephews. And so this question came to mind. If you could write, write a letter to a person who's very young now, uh, write a letter that they would receive 20 years from now, what would you like to say? What would be the most important communication you'd like to offer them? Uh, that little technical part of me wants to reframe the question a little bit because what the 20 years from now means nothing to me. Yeah, I, I know. I, I mean, I mean, but I get, I get the gist of it. So it's, but it, but I, in this daring to be as present as I can be, that that same question applies. It just means now. What do here's my my 20 year old nephew is moving to Montana today. And I got mm. to hang out with him yesterday, and he's starting a whole new chapter of his life, you know, and it's like, what do I say to him? What do I, how can I dare to prepare him for what's coming without necessarily, because it doesn't feel appropriate, to just come right out and tell him that I really think you ought to study what's going on with the climate that's going to affect your life. You know, um, although that's getting closer, I'm getting much closer to using that kind of a line with the people that I love mm -hmm. that isn't abrasive, but it says, because I love you, I really invite you to, to study what's happening with climate change and their abrupt climate change and what's happening, even, you know, and point them, you know, just with the ice caps. Please study the ice caps so you know what's, what's headed. 
you know yeah. that so it just brings it to now so so I don't know about that 20 thing the 20 year later thing what comes up for me is I'm sorry yeah, yeah. you know and yeah. we've done some sorry meditations and and my buddy Daniel Dancer did a great one with us uh, when we were up in Chico and it's just like to feel into I'm sorry I, I didn't get it we you know in this human form we didn't quite figure the puzzle out fast enough to make the changes we needed to make in the 50s, 60s, 70s so that we didn't get here. Yeah. And I'm sorry we didn't figure it out, but somehow, somehow, little niece, you're part of this too. And through whatever happens, however this unfolds, you chose, the bigger you, chose to be 14 when all this happened and not 52 or 83. Right. You know, so that's, that's, what I have currently for the for the kids and the the fable, you know, to to plant the seeds like the butterflies and the wave, these things they can tangibly understand that are real life somethings, that things transform, and when they transform, they realize it's all good. The transforming part's rough, but only to our human, only to that part of human. And we could dare to talk to kids, but oh, that's that's my human part. Mm-hmm. You know, or Papa's everywhere now, right? To g- begin to get the distinction between the physical human body and what's beyond the body. And right. so those would be the seeds I'd, I'd want to plant with my young ones. And I guess just I want to repeat that that last, right before what I had said is what I really feel drawn to with the young kids now is I love you and I, I really think, I think it would be great for you and your future if you studied what's happening with the ice caps. Yeah. Something easy and basic like that. Maybe not using the word climate change or something. It's going to affect your life. And I would feel remiss if I didn't at least warn you that, that there's a there's a bridge out up ahead. Yeah. Take it for what you will. I'm not going to bring it up again. You can bring it. I'm happy to talk to you if you want. But that's your something of that, something that they could take in without being overwhelmed. And if they choose to do it, study it themselves, then great. And if they don't, then great also. Thank you for that, Peter. That's beautiful. And, uh, again, to anyone listening, if you want to ask a question of Peter or myself, uh, I think we have Bob, actually, on the line right now with a question or comment for Peter or me. Go ahead, Bob. Hello, Peter. This is your brother, Bob Warner. Hmm. Good day, sir. <laughs> I uh, really have been appreciating this uh conversation with you and Carolyn and um, I just uh, in this last uh, bit of the bit of the description from your conversation with Harvey and um, and about talking you know to your nephew is it that's headed from Montana yeah I find myself in the same circumstance Uh, as you know we've got huge amount of nieces and nephews particularly on my wife's side and um, it's difficult to even um, Enter the conversation of what's theirs uh, and and whatnot. And two think thoughts come to my mind. I appreciate your comment on it. Uh, one is we do a lot of Pachamama Alliance symposiums, and one of the videos we play in that is a quote by Drew Dillinger, who it's a poem of his that says, "What would you do once you knew? What would mm. you tell your grandchildren or your great great nieces and nephews that you did after you knew?" and uh, what is truly going on now. And um, uh, it is 
uh, you know, sitting around a campfire last week, one of one of Noelle's nieces entering her senior year in college, um, she just made a comment about uh, how difficult it is, uh, and there's so many other challenges for people of college age and whatnot these days. And so I found myself grabbing for but not finding any words of um, uh, of wisdom, encouragement, or or even suggestion of what in a practical nature can we encourage others to be doing in the time that they're in now. And I really appreciate your early comments about sort of the spiritual, emotional, psychological aspects of this and how uh, one might hold that. But in addition to that, my question relates around in a practical nature, what else can we be offering to others, inviting them into um, how to conduct themselves in in the practical world, if you will? Yeah, thanks, Bob, Peter, and blessings you, you, to you, you and Noel. Um, go ahead with that, Peter. I have some thoughts on that too, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. And thank you, Bob, for your question. You bet. Yeah. <sighs> When I met Bob, I had to, the first time I had this idea to use my name tag as a way to, to share what I believe uh, at a conference, and I put, I, I am the oneness cleverly disguised as Peter. <laughs> and that goes back to one of these core little just shifts of, of awareness of who we really are and to dare to announce who we really are. Um, and I guess that goes toward the answer, Bob, there is, is to dare to announce who I am as, as what is there to do in the practical sense, is to, to sit with and, and remember who I am. And for some people, it, you know, it comes from different angles. It, you'll have to find that for yourself, to, that depth, but slowing down to find that depth and whatever practices you have to help you in whatever faiths and whatnot but to, to summon that energy and to, to move it through your body, say, okay, who am I? And how does that translate right now? Okay, when I go to do the work that I do, i got to do it this, with this certain energy, right? When I go to be with my family, I do it with this certain energy. When I go to, to out with strangers, I want to have this, what I was talking about before, to share this joy, to imagine that we're, we're a butterfly. Here we are all caterpillars walking around, but most of them don't realize it. And they're going to think you're crazy if you tell them you're cat, uh, your butterfly. But you can you can flap your little caterpillar arms. You can know that even though it looks all all brown and black, that it's really multicolored. So the practical thing is to get to that baseline, to get down to that baseline of who you are, and bring that inspirational energy out through you, however that is through you, because you're the only way that you're the only way that spirit can experience itself, the Bob Warner way. That. Uh, that we have that unique honor to show spirit, to show all that is, to show life. Life, this is the way it moved through me. And that's the only way that life can experience itself, the Bob Warner way. And so thank you for being you and for being that example, Bob, of what you've been able to do, to just go and be and create and share and and there's a whole bunch of little tangible things about the way life is now. You know, do I go to work? Do I move? What do I do about this? But the underlying, what's under all those questions is the energy by which you're flowing. And to access that energy and access that, that knowledge, that wisdom, that belief in yourself and, and um, 
And imagine the shock, the joy, and surprise when you open your butterfly eyes. My butterfly eyes. Right? And this, so when I sing that little verse, it's like I'm daring to throw it out. It's one thing to say, get out there and be beautiful. It's another thing to just smile at a stranger or say, you know, I could really use a hug. How about a hug? Or here, you know, let me buy you lunch or whatever it is to hand out some of the art that you've made or dare to share a poem or whatever that moves through you and just have that joy in your heart of my butterfly eyes that you're praising life for the chance to be you as a reflection of life. Amen. Preaching good there, Peter. Um, Bob got cut off, I think, or he, at least he's not uh, online anymore. But I would like to, you know, for those listening, I would like to continue from my perspective. Um, wonderful question about practically what to do. And you've spoken so beautifully, Peter, about the inner world. Um, and it's totally on the same page that I write about and talk about all the time. And I also would like to add the concept of service. Um, engaging in some kind of service. And it doesn't have to be big, flashy service, you know, where you're going to some organization five times a week or, you know, you know, being really super busy. Um, one of the things I've talked about on this show before and in my writing is a connection that I have with a homeless man and his dog. And uh, I see them three or four times a week or talk on the phone. And uh, I have the opportunity to do some service for this person. And I'm connected with the family. And, you know, I won't go into all the details of how I'm able to give to this person. Um, I've got a new book coming out in which I've devoted a whole chapter to this and how this person has opened my heart cracked it open, broken it open, and just help me see all of what we're experiencing in a a much larger way. So uh, I highly recommend some kind of service and practical way of giving in the world. Now, Peter, you've shared with us um, some of your experience of being present with your dad in the last days of his life. And I'm wondering if there are any other personal heart-opening moments in terms of the global crisis and where we are in the decline of our planet that you'd like to share. Yeah, I was feeling I was feeling back to my dad's uh, celebration of life as you were framing that question, and um, and as I was sharing at his uh, at his celebration, that his favorite quotes going in this last window of time for him. Uh, was everything is beautiful in its own way mm. from a, a song. And a lot of times family members would call and they'd say, how you doing, Papa? And he'd say, everything's beautiful in its own way. You know, while they all knew he was dying, to the level that he knew he was dying, I, I really can't answer. He he didn't want to talk much about that. But, but, you know, to be able to say to his children and grandchildren, everything is beautiful in its own way. Um, and he also liked the phrase, life goes on. Mm. And, but it's his favorite phrase, and what feels like I want to share here is, is bet it all on love. Mm-hmm. Bet it all on that knowingness that you are that butterfly. Bet your whole life on it. Bet what's mm-hmm. left that that's true. Like you had, you know, you hear people who have out-of-body experiences or these powerful dreams that they know there's a message in this dream. Make the dream, know the dream is you and already living there. And bet your whole life on the fact that you're actually a butterfly inside this little caterpillar body, and that you can live however many more moments you get to have 
with that smirk. It's almost a smirk that comes with it. Like, you know something that a lot of other people don't know and that things are, things are beautiful and expressive and you're beautiful regardless of, of what you look like and what you, what, what's happening in your world. And that, and so we, this was the song that we wrote. I'll just sing one little thing. It was just, bet it all on love, bet it all on love. No need to wait for your time above. Bet it all on love, bet it all on love, and live your heaven now. Bet it all on love. Right? That, that if you could just know that for yourself, just find a way to know that for yourself. And like so many times you say, fake it till you make it. Right? Just believe it. Just bet it all. You're putting your chips down on this is what's real. There's so much more, and I'm going to express that so much more now as the gift I have to give right now during this time of global collapse and crisis is I'm going to be somebody who's glowing as brightly as possible. Wow. Thank you so much for that, my friend Peter. Um, I'm going to be out in your hood um, sometime in October. And uh, then a little later, a few months later, the first part of the year, we're going to be doing this online symposium that we've talked about. Why don't we do it in reverse order and talk about the symposium a little bit? Um, you and I are having the pleasure of uh, interviewing some really amazing people who are going to be part of this symposium, and they are speaking to us from their hearts and ask and answering some of the kinds of questions that I've been asking you today, it's not going to be a symposium of talking heads, a symposium of talking hearts. And you want to say more about that and your experience with that so far? Yeah, just uh, daring to go to this different place, you know, to, to dig in with these questions like you've asked and others to find what's underneath that. What's, how is it different for people? You know, this is just how it moves through me. I don't know how many other people resonate with, with what I've said today. You know, it's just the way it's, it's, glow, it's, it's glowing through me. It's yeah. just what shows up when spirit moves through me. And how do I got to interview Darjamel? And just to hear it, how it moves through him and to dare to go that deeper, that level deeper and that level deeper, which is what we're doing with this symposium is daring to, to go past, you know, the questions that we're already hearing answers to. And, you know, and to find that, that underneath. Dar is a fabulous climate writer. He writes on a regular basis for truthout.org. Um, he is one of the most uh, deeply informed of the climate science writers, um, and yet we didn't ask him much about um, the statistics, did we? Uh, you interviewed him, right? Yeah, absolutely not. I didn't want didn't have nothing to do with that. Right. Okay, there's a storm coming. You know, one sentence. We're in a storm. Okay, good. So <laughs> what's what's past that? You know, you can right. get all the details anywhere you want. What, right. what we're daring to do is go where we went today and just find out how's it moving through you right now. And, and you can ask yourself these same kinds of questions. In fact, that's one of the, the, the deep meanings of the symposium is to create a series of questions whereby people could ask themselves and take themselves to that place of, what is it? What is it that moves through me as we go, this, we experience this storm together? I'm very excited about this uh, symposium in terms of not just the guests that we're interviewing, but the opportunity that we all have to come together online and consider these questions together and really deepen our connection with each other as an online community. I mean, that is just so exciting, I can't tell you. 
Yeah, and I, I got to tell you now, I'm so excited too for your trip out to Northern California. Carolyn's coming to do a, a workshop in Sebastopol, October twenty four, twenty three through twenty three through twenty five. Yeah. Yep, and then we're gonna we're gonna go around a little bit. Then we'll get to be in the East Bay in the Oakland Hayward area for an evening, and then up to my old hometown, my old Chico stomping grounds. Uh, so we'll be up your way, uh, Lori from Reading. Um, for uh, an evening and then another uh, informal day. Uh, and then we're going to Grass Valley and having a, a talk and a workshop that uh, Friday, uh, the Thursday and Friday, the 29th and 30th of October. Um, so that's when we'll be up in, in that area, and Carolyn will be sharing her wisdom. But really, the group creates the wisdom. That's right. We'll be, we'll be urging everyone to to do this same thing through a series of exercises and experiences. Like, how does it come out of you? And just like a well, combination of what Harvey and Bob both asked, what, 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 what? I, I hear what you're saying, but how do I get this? What? Ah. You know, it's a whole new way of being. And so these symposium and these, these public meetings are meant to, to be another possibility for how you can find that urging for yourself to, to know to express that knowing out into the world during this time. Well, it's so wonderful, Peter, to have you supporting me and uh, helping to set up these events uh, because you know the territory and because this is what you do. And I'm just so grateful to have you and Dean on the team. And, uh, you know, exciting things are happening. And, wow, we get to do this in this horrible time. You know, uh, yesterday, well, any moment I could look out my window now here in Boulder, Colorado, which is normally crystal clear, and we've got the smoke here from the Washington fires and the Montana fires and the California fires. And yesterday I was listening to CNN, and the governor of Washington was on, and he said, this is cataclysmic. And I never have heard a public official using that word. Even even in terms of Katrina, I didn't hear that word. Um, and by the way, we're celebrating 10 years with Katrina next week. So um, in this cataclysmic time, you and I get to do what we're doing. Yeah, powerful and and wonderful and and this is this is for whatever reason this is where we're drawn and this is our chance to shine the light and and be there for ourselves and be there for others and stimulate the conversation and and that is me you us being that best that best us we can be in in this time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, it's a little bit like I just uh, you know just came back from the, mort- the last meeting with the, the at the mortuary, and I'm like, wow! Every day this lady has someone else whose life has been massively altered, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and she gets to be with them, however they are, and hold that place and hold that passion and and hold that love while at the same time taking care of what needs to be taken care of. I had a beautiful experience with hospice of Santa Cruz County, and and also with the mortuary, and it's just. You know, that's where we're at. We're we're in hospice together. Anything else you want to add, Peter? You've you've just you've just stimulated the hell out of us, and I thank you for that. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Well, um, yes, my butterfly eyes, <laughs> my butterfly eyes. Imagine the shock, the joy, and surprise when I open my butterfly eyes. My butterfly eyes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for that, Peter. Thank you for being on the show with me today and and for uh, sharing this with with folks. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening. Next week we're going to have Stephen Jenkinson, as I told you, and the following week Richard Heinberg. Um, Richard Heinberg should be very interesting to have a conversation with. Uh, As of today, oil has gone down below $40, which hasn't happened for six years. Uh, so things are unraveling pretty quickly, and I would love to have a conversation with Richard. Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to being with you again next week right here on the Lifeboat Hour. Everybody knows the deal is rotten. Old Black Joe's still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody